1: Else. Warning. Today's episode may be offensive to some people as it discusses anti-Semitic claims. So on today's podcast, we're going to get into some accusations that Robert Maxwell was a spy, that he was assassinated, and how he plays a role in the Jeffrey Epstein conspiracies. But before we get there, we need to talk about vitamins. Stick with me here. I promise it'll make sense.
2: He demanded that I carry an offer for pills which improve a child's IQ, and I refused.
1: That's Roy Greenslade, describing one of his last confrontations with Robert Maxwell, before he was fired. Greenslade was editor of The Mirror, and Maxwell demanded that he run an editor's offer in the paper for vitamin pills that claim to improve a child's intelligence.
2: He just couldn't understand why I would turn down something like that and not do as he told me. And when I said, look, we're going to be in tremendous trouble if we sell IQ pills to children, he, he said, well, I, you know, I, I must do it.
1: Greenslade stuck to his guns. It was illegal. It was a lie. It was an illegal scam that targeted children. None of this bothered Maxwell. In fact, he was more invested than Greenslade thought.
2: I found out that he'd bought very foolishly into this company that were producing these pills, and, and that was very typical of him. So it, I, I think his disappointment with me was a disappointment that if he couldn't control me, was he already losing his power? If he couldn't make the mirror editor do as he wished... Then, where was he in life that he couldn't make that happen?
1: Maxwell didn't care about the ethics of feeding children questionable pills. If I've learned anything about Maxwell, it's that he'd do anything to get ahead. And it wasn't a secret. Maxwell used his ruthlessness and mystique as a weapon. And if people believed you'd do anything, well, it makes any rumor, even if they're completely outrageous, plausible. There's no evidence of suicide. There's no evidence he had
3: a heart attack. Well, it could have been an accident. Or it could have been murder. I think he was murdered.
1: Remember that from episode two? The actress reading Ghislaine's interview in Hello! magazine? Ghislaine said she believed her father was killed. And she's not the only one. Google Robert Maxwell, and you'll find very quickly that to this day, nearly 30 years after his death, The top hits are conspiracies about his death rather than his life.
2: It was Robert Maxwell that brought Epstein into the Mossad fold because Maxwell, he built this multi-billion dollar criminal enterprise.
0: You could claim, I suppose, so maybe he just took off all his clothes and got drunk and then fell overboard and drowned. You could say that, you could say Epstein hung himself and it was just a coincidence.
1: There's a whole industry, an alternative media filled with people like this. People with books published by fringe publishing houses, YouTube channels, some with over a half a million subscribers. There are podcasts with large audiences, which of course as a working journalist doesn't frustrate me at all. And the talking heads in this world are celebrities in these places who make the rounds on the shows, connecting red string.
4: This untold story about the murder of Robert Maxwell, Israel's super spy.
1: They spread conspiracies that sound, well, like many conspiracies, crazy. There are theories involving the KGB, money laundering, arms dealing, supermodel secret agents, covert Israeli assassins, and very specifically, rubberized grappling hooks. I know, weird. And now, through some complicated twists and turns, these theories are being connected to Jeffrey Epstein.
4: Jeffrey Epstein took over after Robert Maxwell died.
1: It's true that Maxwell lied so much that it's hard to figure out what's real and what's fiction. Smoke and Mirrors were his playbook, The problem is that this laid the groundwork for the conspiracy theories that the darker side of the internet have used to connect Ghislaine, Epstein, and a whole bunch of other characters. Today on Power, the accusations that Maxwell was a spy, and why those conspiracies still matter today. I'm Tara Palmieri. This is Power, The Maxwells. Episode four, The Best Lies.
0: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
1: In a 90s documentary on Robert Maxwell titled The Downfall, a former MI6 agent named Desmond Bristow remembers when Maxwell was just starting out. He was recently out of the army and doing business with Soviet Germany when he struck a deal with the secret British intelligence agency.
4: Maxwell was to be your agent. Yes. And he was subsidizing. Well, we subsidized him in the form of helping him buy his business.
1: So it looks like early on in his career, Maxwell was working with British intelligence, at least in some capacity. Then when he was a member of parliament, the Soviets reportedly reached out to Maxwell, asking him to advocate for them. Russia was invading his homeland, Czechoslovakia. And they wanted Maxwell to support the Soviets.
3: It can be
4: useful to us as a person who would have an access to some information.
1: Maxwell's friends at MI6 weren't happy about it. Here's Bristow again from the same documentary.
4: You wouldn't have thought that he would be picked up by the KGB at that stage.
1: None of this is particularly surprising. That's just what Maxwell did. Deals with anyone. It didn't matter that he was helping the enemy of the country that took him in. But that's not what we're focusing on today. Despite reportedly working with MI6 and the Soviets, the dominant conspiracy theory around Maxwell is that when he died, he was working for the Israeli government. And it was that relationship that eventually killed him. Maxwell Maxwell's a very public supporter of Israel. As we mentioned, he was buried on the Mount of Olives, which is usually reserved for Jewish heroes. So that's odd. But it's not evidence of anything more nefarious. Except it does get a little bit more suspicious when you look at some of the events in his life that were downright shady.
0: Maxwell was accused of helping Mossad, Israel's intelligence service,
2: kidnap Mordechai Benunu from London.
1: There are two scandals that fan the flames that Maxwell was secretly working with the Israeli government. For the first, I need to take you back to 1986 when Maxwell owned the Daily Mirror, a time when, publicly, Israel claimed they had no intention of becoming a nuclear power. But in secret, things were quite different. There was an Israeli nuclear technician, Mordecai Venunu, who was adamantly against nuclear weapons. Here he is in a documentary.
3: So my conclusion was they are producing, every year, around 40 kilogram plutonium. That is enough for 10 atomic bombs.
1: Vanunu decided to blow the whistle, and he did it in Rupert Murdoch's respected Sunday Times. The paper took it very seriously. They flew Vanunu to London to verify his claims and the photos he took of Israel's nuclear program. It was a big undertaking. The paper wanted to get their facts right, but while they were working on the story, days before release.
2: The September the 28th edition of the Sunday Mirror bore the banner headline, the strange case of Israel and the nuclear con man.
1: The Sunday Mirror. Robert Maxwell's Sunday Mirror had found out about the story and without talking to Vanunu, decided to run a big article discrediting Vanunu and his evidence.
2: Scientists claimed that the photographs could have been taken anywhere, even at a car wash or an egg factory.
1: Now we know Maxwell and Murdoch were rivals, but this was a bold move on the Mirror's part especially because they hadn't spoken to Vanunu. Perhaps they believed the story was fake, seeing something that the very careful reporters at Murdoch's paper didn't. But with hindsight, we now know that Vanunu was telling the truth. Israel was developing their own nuclear weapons. So it understandably raised some eyebrows. Regardless, the Sunday Times believed Vanunu and decided to go with the story. But as you can imagine, Vanunu was pretty freaked out. Now this is where the scandal gets even wilder. Not only is Vanunu under immense pressure, but he's in a foreign country where he knows no one with nothing to do. The reporters at the Sunday Times who are working with him later said that during this time, he was obviously very lonely. Then one day he tells them he's met someone, a woman, her name is Cindy. Here's how a Mirror employee working on the story described it in a documentary.
3: Who reminded him of a Charlie's angel from the 70s. I think it
1: was Farrah Fawcett. Venunu is obviously delighted. She seems wonderful. And Cindy has said, because of this story in the Sunday Mirror, I'm so nervous. This is from a documentary about the ordeal. Cindy told him she wanted to get away from the scandal caused by the Mirror article and to go to Rome together. He agreed. The reporters working with Vanunu were obviously not happy, but they couldn't stop him. Cindy and Vanunu flew to Italy. They jumped into a cab to the apartment they rented. And then... Cindy let Vanunu enter
4: first. And instead of finding himself in bed with Cindy, he's, uh, he's in the strong hands of the Israeli Mossad agents.
1: Mordecai Vanunu was honey-trapped. He was drugged and flown back to Israel. He served 18 years in an Israeli prison for treason. 11 of those years were in solitary confinement. But his efforts weren't in vain. The Sunday Times ran the story, and eventually the public didn't just find out about Israel's nuclear capabilities, but they also found out about Vanunu's kidnapping.
3: I am very proud and happy that I succeed to, to reveal nuclear weapons, to do that act of... Uh, Stopping the nuclear proliferation.
1: That's Venunu. He was released from prison in 2004. He's still under strict parole restrictions. It's hard to tell if this was terrible journalism, someone at the paper with an agenda, or Maxwell taking a direct order, or something else entirely. Unfortunately, we'll never know the truth. But Maxwell's reputation for making a deal with anyone led people to speculate that he must have been trying to help Israel. And it wasn't the only scandal.
3: He and Ari were putting together a deal to sell 80 used Israeli jet fighters to the Iranians. And I was gobsmacked.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No.
3: I was not the sort of person who who could stay with this kind of, what I would call, an an immoral atmosphere.
1: That's Janet Fielding, the ex-wife of the recently deceased Nick Davies. He was the foreign editor of Robert Maxwell's Daily Mirror for 14 years. That's not to be confused with the Guardian journalist and author with the same name. If the Venunu scandal was the seed that sprouted questions about espionage, Then this story was the soil that all the big conspiracies then grew out of. It's the kind of story that has a lot of unintended consequences. but At the same time, it was just a person trying to navigate what sounds like an impossible situation.
3: I spent three years as a Doctor Who companion. That's a cult British show that's been going on for nearly 60 years.
1: Fielding is a retired actress who runs a charity these days. Today, she has a mod-chic look. You do an image search of her back in the 80s, she looked like she could have been in vogue. But when she met Davies, she was a politically active actor doing fringe work. She felt like their politics aligned. But after four years together, Davies started to change.
3: You know, I think that happens to a lot of people in their late 40s, early 50s, that they have that midlife crisis and, you know, life isn't quite on the trajectory that it was. It's sort of it's not delivering
1: in the way you hoped. Next thing Fielding knew, Davies was hanging out with new friends and decided to start new companies that didn't make any sense to Fielding. He was constantly traveling. It was all very weird. And then one day...
3: He comes home and he talks about a meeting that he had at Brown's Hotel in Mayfair in London, which is a very posh area of London. He'd been in a meeting with a Jordanian, and this... Israeli called Ari Ben Manashi. And then Ari Ben Manashi suddenly started to figure largely in Nick's life.
1: Ari Ben Manashi. If you read a lot of Reddit, you might have heard of him. He's written a book, and he goes on shows making big claims about Iran-Contra, Maxwell, and Maxwell's connection to Epstein. But simultaneously, he seems to be a truly powerful person now. Obviously, you should take Wikipedia with a grain of salt. But his Wikipedia page describes how his consulting agency was caught up in a plot to eliminate the president of Zimbabwe. There's a section about his lobbying firm working with a Sudanese general who killed over 100 protesters. And a Politico article from 2019 reports that Ben Menashe was hired to set up a meeting with Sudan's military leadership senior Russian officials, and I'm quoting the Honorable President Trump. From researching Ben Menashe, it's not exactly clear what his role is in a lot of these things, but it looks like he's done very well for himself, and he's well-connected. He's another mysterious, tricky figure. Oh, and it seems like he's made some enemies. In 2012, his house was firebombed. Like we said, this conflict has a lot of unintended consequences. So while he's about to loom large in a lot of what's to come, right now, he's just a guy that gave Fielding a bad feeling. And then the next time Ari's name came up, it was to do with arms dealing. Davies told her he thought Ben Manashi was Mossad. That is, part of Israel's super-secret intelligence arm. Fielding didn't like the idea of her husband getting involved with an agent of a foreign country. And then...
3: He came home and said that um, he and Ari were putting together a deal to sell 80 used Israeli jet fighters to the Iranians. And I was gobsmacked.
1: At the time, Iran and Iraq were at war. Iraq was the biggest threat to Israel. So Israel was arming Iran. For fielding, this was the last straw. She moved out their marriage was over. A couple months later, she went back to Davy's place to get some more stuff. And sitting on the breakfast
3: room table was a big folder. And in it were letters and telexes and like brochures for arms
1: dealing. (laughs) Arms. Fielding decided to do something about it. And I took
3: a hair out of my head and I... Placed it in the folder.
1: She to the local library, made copies of the papers, and then returned the originals. She was terrified and wanted to keep them safe at home, somewhere where that no one would think to look. So where did she put them? Put
3: these photocopies into the cover of Time Out with Tina Turner on the cover. (laughs) Welcome to the Thunderdome. (laughs) Uh, In her silver costume looking all-powerful, thought she can
1: protect them. Fielding didn't know what else to do, so she just tried to put the past behind her. Maybe it would have stayed that way forever, but once again, Ari Ben-Manashi would change the course of Fielding's life. In 1989, Ben-Manashi was arrested in New York for arms dealing. He claims Israel tried to get him to take a deal and keep his mouth shut. Instead, he went to trial, and a jury believed that he was working on behalf of Israel. And thus, he was sent free. The ordeal put him on the outs with Israel. And that would change the lives of Fielding and Maxwell. So, re-enter Fielding. It's a random day in 1991, when her agent puts her in contact with the famous journalist Seymour Hersh.
3: He was the guy who wrote the story of
1: the Miley Massacre. That was a sort of major, major story. Hirsch tells her he's been working with Ari Ben-Manashi. And she tells Hirsch what she knows about Davies. A couple weeks later, the three arranged to meet. These guys don't do the poor areas of town. Knightsbridge, very ritzy poo. She goes to lunch, and that's when Fielding lets them in on a secret.
3: I told them that I had these two documents that showed that Nick was arms stealing
1: They hustled me off. In October of 91, Hirsch's book, The Samson Option, was published. And one chapter outlined Ben Menashe's relationship with Davies. There weren't direct claims about Maxwell, but his foreign editor being an arms dealer was a huge deal. This would be like discovering that CNN's Anderson Cooper was helping arm Syria. Fielding knew there was going to be huge blowback.
3: You know, I was castigated by a number of papers as, you know, the bitter XY taking my revenge, but that's not how I see it, but then I wouldn't, would I?
1: It was a big story, but seemed like he said, she said. Davies said the letters were forgeries and was all made up. One claim in the Samson option was that Davies met with arms dealers in Ohio. Davies came out and said that he had never been to Ohio. Then.
3: There's a photograph of Nick on the veranda with his arm around the arms dealer and his wife.
1: Davies died denying that he ever dealt arms. But shortly after the photo was leaked, Davies was fired by Maxwell. Look, it's really easy to hear a couple suspicious anecdotes and assume where there's smoke, there's fire. Of course, this is all totally circumstantial. None of this can be tied directly to Maxwell. There are plenty of other valid explanations and we will likely never know the truth. But these are the stories that conspiracies grow out of. These are the real life scandals of Maxwell. But what are the conspiracies? And how do we get from the real to the alternative reality? Well, imagine a cork board with those stories on one far end of the board. Now imagine red strings spreading from a picture of Robert to Ghislaine to Epstein. But who's moving the string from one place to another?
4: Hello, dear. Hi, Grant, it's Ari.
1: One of my producers, Grant Irving, called the small publishing house that printed Ari ben book. They said they'd pass along a message to him. He was doubtful, but the next day, Ben-Manashi called him.
4: Uh, you wanted to know more about Maxwell, Robert Maxwell, right?
1: And with the help of ben assistant and his other assistant, Sergey, who we suspect is actually security.
4: Why are we asking these questions?
1: Grant talked to the suspected former arms dealer. The man whose lavish home was firebombed. The man who might be most responsible for Maxwell and Epstein conspiracies.
4: The word handler is probably not the right word, but uh, a person that explained to him what to do.
3: You know, good lie is always
4: based around truth. I think this relationship killed him, eventually had him killed.
1: Before we get going on this next section, I want to warn you that we're about to head into some stuff that's downright anti-Semitic. But there's a reason why we need to discuss it all. If the past four years with Donald Trump as president have taught us anything, it's that conspiracy theories have gone mainstream. Let me bring in my producer, Grant, who interviewed Ari. Hey, Grant. Hey, Tara. Grant has been helping me investigate these allegations about Robert. Grant and I spent months looking into all of this, and I'll admit, we were feeling a little overwhelmed by it all. We kept going back and forth on how important all these allegations were to us today and why it even matters. And then Grant went on a road trip and saw firsthand.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. A couple months ago, we're recording this in November, so at the end of September, I went on a road trip with my partner from Virginia to Minnesota to visit my in-laws. And along the way, I saw a lot of cows, some horses, and it being fall right before an election, a lot of political signs. Some Biden and Harris, but many more trump pens.
1: Well, sure, you're driving through the middle of the country. That makes sense.
0: Right. But while a lot of the signs said keep America great or law and order or whatever, more than a few said save the children. And some said Epstein didn't kill himself.
1: So conspiracy theories about Epstein and an elite-led pedophile ring were placed on campaign signs. That's right. Conspiracy theories that people roll their eyes at are now some motivating force for how people vote. So if you follow those pieces of red yarn back, it'll likely lead you to Robert Maxwell in some way. And one of the main people responsible for that in regards to Maxwell, is a man who looks like he had trouble sleeping on a red-eye flight in first class, Ari Ben-Manashi.
4: Sir Gorbachev asked him for some money, which he gave. But it was Israeli money, and the Israelis demanded it back. But I think this relationship killed him, eventually had him killed.
1: Ben Menashe makes statements like this that seem outrageous on their own. But it's not so simple. These things end in big claims. But they're built by statements that feel plausible. Ben Menashe gave a rationale as to why Maxwell would work with Israel that actually rang true to me.
4: He tried to be part of the British aristocracy, which he was not, yes? Psychologically, he wanted to be something. So the Israeli thing suited him pretty well. Find greatness through his Jewishness. So it was pitched to him as, as a great deed for Israel. But he also understood there was money in it for him.
1: According to Ben Manashi, Israel would launder money through Maxwell, who, with his many, many businesses and many bank accounts, could easily hide the money. And in exchange, Maxwell would get tipped for passing the money along. Well, supposedly they paid Maxwell in cash and flattery.
4: Maxwell was an amoral type. You just play his ego. Oh, how smart you are, Bob. How smart, you're really smart. You know what you're doing, Bob.
1: Ben didn't hide his feelings for Maxwell. He wasn't fun to speak with.
4: He wasn't an easy guy to talk to. You know, sometimes from time to time, you had to uh, be a donkey consultant and smack him in the head. Well, not physically, but tell him, hey, this is what you need to do.
1: So how do we get from these relatively small theories into the outlandish stuff? Well, Ben Menashe says Maxwell was annoying, but useful, till about 1989. In the late 80s, Maxwell had some business deals go south, which put him in financial trouble, which is very true, by the way. We'll get into that in the next episode. But according to Ben Menashe, Maxwell, instead of moving the Israeli money along, kept it for himself.
4: The Israeli government wanted him to pay back the money he owed them. Yes, that's real. And we found out that he lent it, supposedly lent it to Gorbachev. Yes. And uh, Mr. Gorbachev, well, didn't stay in power long enough to return it to him. Back in early 89, I asked them to return the money, yes. What did he say to you? I will speak to your prime minister. I said, please do. You'll get the same line from him.
1: There's a theory presented in a book called Robert Maxwell, Israeli Super Spy, which lays out what happens next. My producer Grant tried to speak to the author about this, but after saying he talked to us, stopped responding. Grant, what does the book say?
0: The book lists dozens of sources, including Bemanashi. But it's written in a way that a lot of times you don't know who provided what bit of information. And many reviews do say the book's claims are suspect. But it's big on the internet. Anyways, the book and Ben Menashe say that Maxwell, who towards the end of his life was in serious debt, threatened to reveal Israel's secrets if they didn't help him pay off some of his debts.
4: The guy was gonna get arrested by the British government. You know, he was, grappling back and forth and, you know, and threatening and uh, begging and everything else. At that point, he wasn't thinking straight.
0: According to Ben Menashe in the book, they told Maxwell they'd pay him and gave him a time and a place to meet up on his yacht.
1: So this is the fateful night. We know how this ends. But in this telling, he didn't jump or have a heart attack. Grant?
0: Supposedly, they had him come to the back of his boat between 4 and 5 AM, where it was loud and where there probably wouldn't be crew members. And according to the book, men did come on board, but not to make a deal. While Maxwell was waiting on the back of his boat, a covert Israeli team, used a grappling hook, rubberized so it wouldn't make much noise. They got on the yacht, they snuck up behind Maxwell, and…
4: My understanding was that he uh, became too much of a liability to the Israeli government. It was floating in the canaries. It was in the water, floating.
1: By the time Maxwell died, Ben Manashi was on the outs with Israel. So this is just what he heard. For the record, Israel's former prime minister, Ariel Sharon, denies any connection. Here he is in this documentary called The Downfall.
2: How do you know he didn't work for Mossad? I can tell you for sure. He was not an agent of the Israeli Mossad.
1: Everything Ben Menashe says is speculative. There's nothing hard to back it up. But it was serious enough that a former prime minister had to comment on it. It should just be dismissed. When you're willing to sell IQ pills to kids... Get caught up in scandals like Vanunu and your editor might be an arms dealer? When you disregard legality and ethics, people start to take this stuff seriously. And if you buy Ben Manashi's claims about Maxwell, then of course you buy his claims about Maxwell and Epstein.
4: Well, Maxwell introduced them to the Israelis. Intelligence, yeah. Without that introduction, maybe life would have been different for Mr. Epstein.
1: And claims that Israel made a deal with Epstein. They wanted Epstein to set up the wealthy and powerful with underage girls so they could blackmail them.
4: I have no idea how it really started. I wasn't there. But these things happened.
1: So to be clear, he's claiming that Ghislaine worked with the people who murdered her dad to blackmail the elite. What I learned from looking into all of this is that it's a slippery slope. You start with the stories that are backed up by some level of evidence. Then you hear some speculation that sounds plausible, like Maxwell's money laundering for foreign powers. Then you go a little deeper into the rabbit hole, and suddenly you're at the spy murder mystery. And pretty soon statements that people like Ben Menashe make, they lead to conspiracies that make my head spin. One, because they're very hard to follow, and two, because they're aggressively anti-Semitic. The bottom of the rabbit hole sounds like this.
4: Jocelyn Maxwell, daughter of Israeli Mossad spy there have Robert been villains Maxwell. serving Satan and Every the flesh took over after Robert Maxwell died.
1: Programs like this made connections I couldn't imagine.
0: Involving the Jewish-owned Red Mafia-connected whiskey company. And this. Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt. sex played, Both practicing Orthodox Jews
2: and observant. And the New Breeding
1: lifestyle.
2: That's all balderdash as far as I'm concerned. The idea that he would be concealing anything of any real importance is just not believable.
1: Maxwell's biographer and a former colleague of Nick Davies, Roy Greenslade, thinks the idea that Maxwell may have been working for Mossad is bogus.
2: Look, uh, I've no doubt that uh, he would love to have spied for Israel, <laughs> but did he, was he up to it? Could he have kept a secret? Um, did he have anything to tell, anything to reveal? That's all just for me, just not there.
1: Greenslade helped put something into perspective for me. While Ben Menaschi offers up no evidence and the claims people make about Maxwell seem extreme, it can all feel plausible because of who Maxwell was. Because he's the type of guy who would sell IQ pills to kids. Because he always wanted you to believe that he was more powerful and more connected than he was.
2: The odd thing about both Epstein and Maxwell, it was known that they were secret, as it were. (laughs) Uh, It's an absurd thing, isn't it? If you're going to keep a genuine secret, you don't let on to people, look, I live a secret life and there's a lot of secrecy surrounding me. And yet both of them did, which made them, for other people, very suspicious characters. But that was a kind of modus vivendi. It was the way he could live as a businessman, that secrecy was very important to him.
0: It was beneficial to have an image of being mysterious, and then that's sort of been hijacked in death.
2: Yes, I mean, look, I think mystery, he, he liked enjoying the mystery, was something which, as it were, kept everyone believing that he must be rich. He had the plane, he had the yacht, he had the cars, he had the big house. This was a man who actually lived as a kind of con man publicist, always uh, one step ahead. And part of the con man had to rely on the fact that there were riches in the background, that there was something there, um, the shimmerer of uh, wealth.
1: Maxwell was known for being shady. He was known for never playing by the rules. Decade after decade, he silenced his critics with lawsuits, so his scandals were swept under the rug. He appeared untouchable, and then he mysteriously died. He was trying to conceal that he wasn't as wealthy or as powerful as he pretended to be. So a consequence of that are the conspiracies. And when you get into the details of the conspiracies, everything is confusing. Down is up, up is down, everyone has an agenda. But when you take a step back, Maxwell, Epstein, they were just corrupt, powerful men that a system failed to bring to account. And maybe that's boring. On some level, don't we want to believe Ghislaine moved from one mystery man to another because of some secret cabal? Isn't that somehow more comforting than recognizing the similar traumatic relationships as a pattern? It's actually easier to accept that there's a secret plot rather than just a systematic failure to hold the wealthy and powerful accountable. Because the thought of that is just depressing. Next week, after a long career of intimidation and smokescreens, Maxwell's lies start to catch up with him.
4: They told me there's no, nothing there. It's, it's all like the guy who makes cotton candy you know, at the carnivals. It's nothing. They whip it up into something. He, he was
1: on a string in a prayer. How Are the Maxwells is written and presented by me, Tara Palmieri. Producers are Paul Smith and Grant Irving. Story editor is Dasha Lisitsina. Our executive producer is Tom Koenig. Original music by Nolan Schneider. Engineering and scoring by Spoke Media and NPAL Audio. Our visual designers are Emma Lansdowne and Alex Elder. Special thanks to Ella McLeod, Joe Sykes, Russell Finch, Peggy Sutton, Steve Ackerman, and Mark Rivers.